Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. Today's guest speaker is Jeff Ward, and his sermon is entitled Kingdom Posture. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. This is, this is the third time. I have had the privilege to uh, share with you and uh, to share God's Word, and um, I just want to thank you for having me. Um, whenever I was getting ready for this, I uh, was on the church's website, and I was you know, scrolling through, seeing what the past messages were, and, and so I um, looked at the different, you know, the, the uh, first job, or First John series you guys went through, First, Second, and Third John, correct? And I, I got to watch um, uh, Pastor Kerry uh, give a message, and um, I had listened to one of his messages, too, before um, when I had come to speak, and I just wanted you guys to know that uh, what a blessing it is to have a pastor like Pastor Kerry. Um, uh, his uh, uh, presentation of the Word, his preaching is just solid, um, and you can just see a God speaking through him. And so you guys are blessed to have a guy like Pastor Kerry here uh, uh, bringing the word. Um, it's a, and so it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to give him a break. Um, I know what goes into putting together a message each and every week um, just because I do it every now and then. <laughs> here, so, and what I thought was... Um, Interesting, too, is he had mentioned this passage. Um, he's never spoken this passage before, and it's probably different for me because I don't really preach a lot, so um, it's not going to be a lot of times for me to be preaching on a lot of passages, um, but whenever he sent that one back, it got me thinking because, man, I was, yeah, I was kind of a little nervous about this passage, but it's a passage that God laid on my heart, and um, uh, by God's grace, I'm here to... Um, uh, uh, preach God's worth as faithfully as I possibly can. Amen? Amen. You guys with me? All right. Um, so we know it's a Memorial Day weekend and um, a time when we honor those who have um, died um, in service to this country, and, um, which is a wonderful thing uh, that we do here. And I think it's also um, important for us as Christians to remember those who have died in service to the kingdom of God. And um, the, the, the man that we're going to focus on a lot today, John the Baptist, is one of those men. He's a giant of the faith. Um, when you think about uh, John the Baptist's ministry um, and you think of the way he died, uh, what he stood for, who he was pointing to, um, he is definitely somebody that we can um, find inspiration from uh, because of his ministry. And we're going to be looking a, a lot at John today. And I'm going to, you know, go a little bit out of order. Um, I, I, I'm wanting to talk about the passage a little bit first, giving context and looking at it before I really delve into explaining the title and, and going on from there. And so if you guys will, will just uh, hang with me, we're going to get to that, because I know you see that, that title, Kingdom Posture. And um, that sounded like a weird title to me, too. Um, 
and, um, but it's been growing on me this week. Um, so what I would like to do is have you turn uh, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. And um, I'm going to read our passage. Before I do, I want to give a quick uh, context to, to, to set it up. And um, what's going on here, John the Baptist, if you know anything about John the Baptist, he um, is in prison. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on, why, why he was in prison, because I think it's going to be important for what we're talking about today. But he's in prison, and it seems that, that um, he's got some, some doubt about who Jesus is. And there's, that's a whole other message of what we could get into there. But he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, hey, are you the one? Are you the one that we're looking for? And, and Jesus um, uh, performs miracles, and, and um, he's, he's healing people, and basically... Um, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, go tell John, look what you're seeing. People are, 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 are being healed. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Right there in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. And so the disciples at that point leave to go back to tell John, hey, this is what Jesus said. And so after that, after the disciples leave, Jesus turns and he addresses the crowd. The scripture says he addresses the multitude, the people who were following him, the people um, who were there to listen to him, uh, people who were uh, hostile towards Jesus and people um, who were sensitive uh, to the the preaching of the gospel. And so um, as John's disciples leave, uh, Jesus turns and starts to talk about John. And what I find interesting here is at one level, you've got John the Baptist who seems to have this, this moment of doubt about Jesus Christ. And then when the disciples of John leave, then Jesus goes on to begin to praise John and to lift him up. And so where I'm starting at today is in verse 28. And we're going to read all the way through to verse 35. It says this, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Verse 31, and the Lord said, to what shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word that is a sword that penetrates our hearts, our lives. 
And it's through your word that we can truly be strengthened, we can truly grow, and most importantly, we truly come to know more of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that as we look to the life of John the Baptist, we would see that his ultimate priority was to point to you, to reveal you. And so I pray today that everyone in this room, myself included, we would be committed to pointing this world to your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he has purchased for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, let's, let's think about this passage here. Um, as, we, as we look at this, what I want to draw your attention to is in verse 31 there, when Jesus begins to criticize this generation. And he says that, to what shall I liken the men of this generation? What are they like? And what's happening here is this generation is a generation, a people in the culture who are rejecting the gospel of Jesus. They're rejecting it. They're despising it. They're hostile towards it. And so Jesus is here condemning and criticizing this generation for that rejection. Okay? So as we move further on, he then goes on to give us an analogy about this generation that's rejecting him. And you see it there. He actually likens this generation to children. And when you look at verse 32, he says, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. And I, and I find it interesting that he uses children to liken this and to criticize this generation. Now you can go and you can, you can see different uh, uh, scholars um, who uh, look at this passage, and, and, and from what I come up with, you got a couple different, slightly different um, ways that uh, uh, people interpret this. What I see here is that Jesus is using this analogy of children, because h- how many in here have children? Raise your hand. I, I've got three daughters, okay? One of the things that annoys me, my sweet, lovely little girls, is when they're playing games together with each other, and you know like those great days when your kids are playing games with each other and, and you're just hearing them and they're just in harmony and they're getting along and you're like, oh, my kids are so wonderful, it's so great. But you know the days when they're playing a game and you, just, you know this is going to go bad, right? Especially when you start to hear what some of the games are, right? The one that starts to go bad in my house is when one of my daughters is the teacher and the other daughter is supposed to be the student, right? Well, sure enough, what happens is, is the, the daughter who's the teacher is just spouting order after order, telling them they have to do this and do that. And, and maybe for just a little bit, the other one is, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But pretty soon they get tired of, of the bossiness, right? And so you start to hear the one who's the teacher get louder and louder and you're supposed to do this, and you're not. And then all of a sudden, they're getting so mad because 
my other daughter is not playing the game anymore, right? And so then they come to me and say, Dad, they're not playing with me. Well, what are you playing? Uh, well, I'm the teacher and they're the student. Oh, I get it. You're probably asking for them to do too much. It, it also reminds me of the game they play where um, my daughters, especially my older ones with the younger ones, they will play a game, and as the game's going on, they will make up rules for the younger one. You guys know what that one's like? They make up rules for the younger one, and it's the kind of rules that they can't actually do, right? So it's like you'll have a kindergartner, and they're like, I want you to write a paragraph on the whiteboard right here. No, she can't do that, or, or they make the game so hard that they can't run as fast, and so you know, they're not, they're not going to play anymore. And so I think this is interesting when Jesus is using children as he's criticizing this unbelieving culture, this generation that is rejecting the message of Jesus, because what he's saying here is this, is, is John and myself, we're not playing your game right? We're not playing your game. And he goes on to say this. He goes, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton, a, a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so when you see this here, think about it. This culture who's rejecting the message of Christ rejecting the message of John, which is rejecting Christ, right? Jesus and John, they're not, they're not playing that game. And what's happening here is this deceiving generation, they're just never satisfied, right? They're, they're not satisfied, and it's like, it's like a catch-22 here, and so they're not going to be happy if you're this type. They're not going to be happy if you're that type. They're going to find something wrong to give them a justification to not believe. See, that's a game, right? Are you really open to what the message is, or are you finding a justification to reject it, to deny it? But what's great here is Jesus and John, they're not going to submit. They're not going to conform. They're going to continue to profess the true gospel. John is going to continue to point and make Jesus Christ his priority unapologetically, unashamedly, no matter what the generation is saying. And so... What I'm coming to here as we get into this is, is the title for the message is Kingdom Posture. And I wanted to, to, to break that down. Why, why, why is this title here Kingdom Posture? Well, one thing I do believe is this, and I think we even sung a little bit about this in the first song that we had today, is this, is that those who profess and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ over their lives as their Lord and Savior, we are a part of his kingdom. We're a part of the kingdom of God. And so what I see in the New Testament, Jesus, I mean, you've heard him say it. I mean, different gospels will word it in different ways, but you'll hear Jesus come on the scene. He'll say, the kingdom of heaven is what? Here, at hand. Uh, when Jesus is speaking parables, oftentimes he'll begin the parable with what? The kingdom of God is like, and then he goes on to give that parable. You look at Matthew 6.33, and it says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his 
Righteousness, right? So one thing we understand is that if we are children of God, because we are robed, clothed in Jesus Christ, we are a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't necessarily when we get to heaven, right? Jesus said it's here because he's here. And when we get saved, where is God's spirit? In us, right? So what we have to understand is that we are kingdom citizens with a kingdom calling. That is who we are. I also think of, when I think the kingdom, I think, man, that, that Sermon on the Mount, a lot of stuff in there about kingdom citizens and how we live and how we behave and how we think, right? And I think of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's where I thought about this idea of posture. If you want to understand the kind of posture a kingdom citizen has, and that's like our constitution right there. And you see and you read and you study God's word and you begin to realize that God calls his children to live and to carry themselves with a kingdom posture. And so when I think of posture, right, I, I actually looked up the definition. And, and, and the, the, the entry that I'm looking for here is when people use that word and they're talking about a mental or spiritual attitude, what what spiritual, mental, disposition, attitude do you have, do you take on for the kingdom of God? It also says this, to take on an official position or to adopt an attitude. So when I think of posture, I believe this to the core that we've been called to take on this kingdom posture, a posture that is internally and externally for the cause of Christ to build his kingdom, right? Great commission. What are we supposed to be doing? Going into all of the world, right? Bringing the gospel to the world, making disciples. This is kingdom building. This is kingdom posture. Is this the priority that we have? That who I am, what I am about, this inward disposition, posture of building God's kingdom, being a kingdom citizen with this kingdom calling, is this who I am? And what's so great about this as well is that it's through this posture that we have, this kingdom posture that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, drawing us, bringing us, sanctifying us, becoming closer to Jesus, looking more like Jesus. And this inward disposition, this posture, then leads to an outward behavior, an outward reality. So as I take in this disposition, it's going to affect the way that I live. It's going to inform how I live in this world, how I influence others, how I speak, and ultimately what I'm doing for the cause of Christ 
in this world. And so I, I like that term posture uh, because it already has that idea. We all know when somebody has a certain posture, you get an idea of what they're about or what's getting ready to happen, right? I mean, we use it in sports all the time. I remember growing up playing baseball. It was like a big deal. I had to always be down like this right when the ball was being pitched. Well, why did I have to get in a certain position, a certain posture? So I could be ready for what? Ready for the ball. In, in anything that you do, there's, there's a posture that you take on so that you're ready. And I think of, of Scripture in this area too, just like we see this, this kingdom theme in the New Testament, we also see this with this posture, this kingdom posture. When I think about that, I think of this, that, that there are um, passages where we're called to be soldiers for Christ. That's a certain posture, isn't it, if you're a soldier? We're called to be people who are running the race, but we're supposed to be running the race like we want to win the prize, right? We're called to be people who are ready to give a defense to anybody who asks us. So we are postured that if somebody asks us for the reason why we believe in what we do, we are ready. And so I see that in Scripture, that there's this posture that we're called to take on to be ready, to be engaged in this battle. And so that's why, the, the, now I'm getting to the key idea. But I won't go another hour, I'll say that. So the key idea um, that I start with now is this, is as kingdom citizens, we are called to unashamedly build and contend for a kingdom culture. I'm going to say that again. As kingdom citizens we are called to unashamedly build and contend for a kingdom culture. So I'm looking at the time, and now we're going to go fast. So we move now looking back at the passage. And I want to draw your attention to verses 28 through 30 right there in, in Luke chapter 7. I want to read those to you again. He's talking about John here, and he says, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then you notice in verse 29, who were the people that accepted, that are accepting the message of the gospel? They're the sinners. They're the tax collectors. But then he goes on in verse 30 and he says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves. Okay, and so here's, here's point number one. And point number one is this, the proud and rebellious heart will not find satisfaction in the counsel of God. The proud and rebellious heart will not find satisfaction in the counsel of God. So you're talking about John the Baptist, the greatest prophet, greatest born of women. I mean, think about all the other prophets. Look where Jesus is putting John the Baptist. And people are rejecting his message. Look at Jesus. And people are rejecting him. See, when people are not open to the gospel, to the truth, their rebellious heart, their posture will not be open to the full counsel of God. 
Because John's ministry was this. He was teaching that we must repent. As he was preparing the way of the Lord, he was preaching repentance. And that idea, repentance, is not just you need to feel sorry for your sins. The word there, and I'm sure you've been taught this before, but the word there, repent, is actually to turn, right? So what, what John was preaching was not just a, a change of heart or a change, a change of mind. It was a radical transformation of your life. It was a turning away from what is false to what is right, to the counsel of God. And so here you have this generation, they're saying, they're not willing to change their life. They're not willing to turn to what is right. They want to continue in the direction that they are. And this is why Jesus condemned, criticized this generation. Because what he's speaking about is how that, that culture was responding to their message. And so I, I, I was reading, and I, and I, I loved this um, uh, uh, illustration that I read. And I just read this last night, and I thought it was cute but poignant. And it was this. When thinking about this idea of, of repentance, uh, they ask little kids to give a definition, and, 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 and they'll say, oh, it's when you feel sorry for your sins. But there was a little girl that took it a step further, and she said this, it's being sorry enough to quit. I like it. And this was John's message. You need to understand that you not because of your heritage, not because of your lineage. You need to prepare yourself for Christ. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. But they didn't want to do it. And, and, and here's where this posture idea starts to, to come in for me. This generation's, this culture that Jesus was criticizing, their posture was bent away from God. And that's why he compared them to children and it's similar to us that just like here, John's acting this way and they weren't pleased with, with that type of, of life. They look at Jesus and they're not pleased there. It's kind of like that catch-22 that we can get caught up in. I, 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 I was thinking about this last night as well. In this culture, Christians, on one level, Christians who are adopting kids can be criticized for adopting children because they're trying to evangelize them. So on one level, they can be criticized for adopting, right? But then on the other side, if Christians aren't adopting or they're speaking up for the pro-life message and against abortion, right, they're criticized for saying all you care about are fetuses. But do you care about them when they're born? I've heard this uh, criticism before. And I'm thinking, wow, can, what does a Christian do there? If we adopt kids, we're criticized trying to evangelize. If we're trying to speak out against killing babies, we're saying that all we care about is the, when the baby's in the womb and we don't care about them once they're born. So here we are in this catch-22 that this culture can criticize us on this side and the culture can criticize us on that side. But here's what I want you to understand. Did Jesus apologize for the perception that they had of John the Baptist and his ministry? No. He didn't apologize for it. So 
Jesus and John weren't going to play their game. So there are a lot of issues in our culture today, and this is, this is where I really believe the, the heart of this message is coming to. We, just like in, for that generation, John and Christ, we can't afford to play games. John and Jesus didn't play the game that that generation was wanting them to play. And this culture would love to see the church, would love to see true followers of Christ, would love to see us conform to the culture's view. They would love to see us conform to what the culture thinks we ought to be like. And this is where we have to maintain that kingdom posture that stays true to who God has called us to be. And there's a lot going on in our culture here, as Pastor prayed about in the world, and you're seeing it more and more, that this culture is looking for any way to marginalize the gospel, to marginalize the church. And we have to be aware, and we have to remember the posture that we have to take within this. There's a quote I wanted to read from you. There's a guy by the name of Russell Moore who wrote a book called Onward. He's a pretty well-known guy in terms of, of his ministry. And um, I wanted to read this to you. I thought this was very relevant. He said this. He said, Christianity that is without friction in the culture is a Christianity that dies. Such a religion absorbs the ambient culture until it is undistinguishable from it. Until eventually, a culture asks, what is the point of the whole thing? Think about that for a second. If we are not in friction, if we are not pushing back, if we're not leaning into our posture, our calling, our kingdom, then we're just going to fall back and we're not going to be any different than the culture around us. See, there's supposed to be something different. And see, that's what happens, I think. We become indistinguishable from the culture when we start to play the game. When we start to, well, you know what? Maybe we need to compromise here, and maybe we need to compromise there. See, that's not the posture of the kingdom. The posture of the kingdom is to not conform. Romans 12, 1, right? Do not be conformed to this world, right? And so as we move on and we think about this culture, which seems to be moving further and further away from Christian values, I mean, it's, it's pretty aware, right? Our culture, who, even though in years past, even from the beginning of this nation, because this is where we live, people still, whether they were Christians or not, still held values that the church resonated with. But see, what's happening more and more in our culture now is that those shared values are now totally withdrawing from each other. And now what's happening in our culture more and more is we as Christians, we as kingdom citizens, we are looking a lot more strange to the culture. 
than in years past. We are peculiar. You see, I kind of think about this growing up, I kind of felt like everybody was a Christian, right? But man, it just seems that this culture is moving so quickly. But here's the thing, I, I don't think it's something we have to despair about. We, we weep, we pray, but you know what? Where this culture is going is an opportunity for the church to shine even brighter, for the church to truly be strange to the world. Because if we're kingdom citizens, we're not going to look like the world, right? And so this is where that application comes. It's this. It's, it's the, the gospel is not tailored to fit into a culture. We're not trying to fit the message of the gospel into the culture, and I would even say this, we're not trying to be culture warriors, right? We're just contending for culture. We're wanting to shape culture, influence culture for the cause of Christ. So the gospel is not tailored to fit into a culture, but to transform it. That's what the gospel does. It transforms culture. And so this is why our posture is important. Listen to Ephesians 6.12. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, we are in a battle. But we've got to remember, our posture is this. We're not battling against flesh and blood. We have an enemy, right? And that enemy would love nothing more than this world and this culture to conform to what human beings think it ought to be, to what man thinks it ought to be. And what we're crying out for is this. We need to accept what God's counsel is. We need to take on that posture and so it's with that understanding we have that right state of mind, that right disposition, that right posture. Point number two, going, to verses, going back to verses 33 and 35, says this, the postures of John and Jesus are really, and this is the interesting one here, the postures of John and Jesus are really two sides of the same coin. They really are two sides of the same coin. So if John the Baptist has this perception, this ascetic lifestyle, a lifestyle of fasting for God, the glory of God, and they have this perception of him, and they even call him a demon because in this, this idea that, you know, John was hanging out in the wilderness and the desert, and, you know, they believed that uh, there was demonic activity out there, and, and so they're finding, like I said earlier, this justification to reject it. But really... The postures of John and Jesus are really two sides of the same coin. And the reason why I want to bring this out is that even though these are meant to degrade Jesus and John and the religious establishment of the day didn't like it, I told you earlier, Jesus wasn't apologizing for their behavior and he wasn't even apologizing for the wrong perception of their behavior. But my question is this, how did they get that perception anyway? Why is it that they labeled John this way and they labeled Jesus this way? There had to be some truth to this for that perception. 
And so the reason why I said it's two sides of the same coin is because oftentimes people kind of can divide themselves into this posture and they'll kind of choose one or the other. And I, and I kind of see this. Sometimes you'll, you'll see the, the Christian that's, they're, they're like John the Baptist. You know, they're weird. You know, John the Baptist, I mean, you, you know how he's described? When, when you go to Mark uh, 1, if you want to turn there, take a look at it. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read this about, about his ministry real quick. It says this, verse 1 through verse 8, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, so John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now look at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You guys ready to sign up for that? And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John, he was weird. He was strange. He was intense. I mean, he called the religious establishment out. He'd say, You guys are a brood of vipers. John was so intense, too, that he took the law of God, and actually said, you know what, governor, that relationship you have with your brother's wife is wrong. Remember when I said, where was John when Jesus was talking about him? He was in prison. And he was in prison because John spoke truth in a courageous and risky way. And ultimately, it was that truth being spoken to that government that got his head cut off. I think that some people, they see that, and, and this is true. I'm not saying that people are called to be John the Baptist. You can't. No one's going to be John the Baptist. But some people will hold that posture, and, and so they're going to be, they're intense, and, and they're out there crying out in the wilderness. And, and they're, 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 they're courageous, and, and they're calling people on the carpet, and, and it can seem intimidating to other Christians, right? To other people. Even to the point of when somebody's bold and risky and out there proclaiming Christ in a way that makes people feel uncomfortable, you know what happens in some ministries where people are actually out there taking risks and being brave? You know who some of the biggest people who condemn them are? Other Christians, and some of the reasons they say that is this. If you're going to do that, wow, that, that's just not very loving to people. And that's going to that's turn people away. Well, think about this. If, if you're telling somebody the truth, right, don't they deserve the truth? But the problem is, is you could even be speaking the truth with passion and heart and love, and people will still what? 
Don't do that. Oh, that's, that's mean. Because anytime you say something that's going to cut to the heart of somebody, oftentimes they want to walk away. Don't judge me. And I know you've been taught about this because that's the sermon I was listening to by Pastor Kerry, that walking in truth, speaking truth, defending truth in love. But you see, there are some people that they're willing to say the hard thing in love, and people aren't willing to receive it. And so some people will even criticize that. But here's why I say it's two sides of the same coin, because some people think this is the way that I've got to be as a Christian, and they don't see the other way, the example of Christ. And so what happens is we need to understand that looking at John the Baptist, we can see here, and looking at Christ, we can see here that a kingdom citizen, and this is where that application comes in, a kingdom citizen is marked by a lifestyle that both professes and emulates Christ. So why do I say it's two sides of the same coin? Because I don't think as Christians we have to have this false dichotomy that you've got to be one type of Christian or the other. Because the other side of it is this. People are like, oh no, I need to take this. Jesus was a laid back lover of people. He just met people where they were. And you got that side of people like, this is the kind of posture that, 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 that I think what Christianity is about. And here's what, I, here's what I'm saying. Hear my heart here. I think they both are the posture we need to take. I think it's a both and. I don't think it's one or the other. I think we look at the life of John the Baptist and we draw application from his life to ours. That John the Baptist, his mission was to point to, proclaim, profess Christ. We see this. His priority was the kingdom of God. So we draw from that and we realize, hey, it's not, a, it's not, a, not one or the other. I can be somebody who courageously points our culture to Christ, realizing, like John said in John 3.30, that I must decrease so who can increase? Christ. But in doing that, it means that sometimes you're going to have to brush up against some people. You may have to be controversial. You may have to call somebody out on something that goes against God's word if we're going to truly be kingdom citizens with the kingdom calling. And guess what? We can. Because back in verse 28, when Jesus was saying that John the Baptist was the greatest of all prophets, did you guys catch what the next line was? The next line was this in verse 28. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. If you're here and you're a Christian, guess who that is? That's you. By participating in the kingdom now, we are greater than John. And I, I read that, I'm like, don't even put me in the same place with John. Keep me far away from that. But see, here's the thing. This side of the cross, we have a greater capacity to truly articulate, exemplify, and show people Jesus Christ that even John didn't have. Because we have God's Spirit in us. We have this 
personal relationship with Christ that we can actually show people Christ in a greater way than John the Baptist did. And that's powerful. And so drawing from from John's life, we can be bold, we can be courageous, we can take risks, we can speak truth to the culture, truth to the government, truth to our family, and not be afraid of that. It's so funny because uh, there's this um, Christian satire site called Babylon Bee. Anybody ever heard of that? I love it. And when I think about this, we need to understand, if we're going to have this side of the coin, we need to people who are proclaiming Jesus, talking about Jesus, actually using words about Jesus. It's like they, they had this article one day, and, and, and the headline just cracked me up, because if you've ever heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use what? Words. words. This, this was so funny. This was their article. They said, feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. Doesn't that just sound odd to you? So part of it is for us is we need to take that ministry of John and apply it. Like we need to actually be proclaiming Christ, talking about Christ, using kingdom language, kingdom concept, kingdom ideas, unashamedly. And then on the other side of it, obviously, we see Jesus. And I'm going to say this about, about John, because I said that he, that he got it um, before we come to the end here, that he got it all the way to the point of death. Jesus said this, and I, I want to remind you of this. In Matthew 15, 18 through 20, it says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Here's the whole point. On this side of the coin, the spirit of John the Baptist, the power that John the Baptist had through God, we are called to profess and to proclaim and to have that posture, knowing that the world won't like it if they don't want to repent, right? So then from there, we look at Jesus. And when I see the other side of the coin here, here's the other posture that we embrace. The other posture that we embrace is this Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners. And you've heard that, and you look at Scripture, even in the, in the, in the chapter over in Luke, that's how Jesus was described, that Jesus ate with sinners tax collectors, he sat down with them. And here's what we know on the other side of the coin is this. Is that not only are we supposed to have an awareness of the message that we are called to proclaim, like John did, with with courage and passion, but we are also called to be aware of our neighbor. And when that idea that Jesus is friend of sinners, I kind of three a couple aspects of awareness that you can unpack there. Look at Jesus, friend of what? Sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners. So if we're truly going to be people who are going to be loving people, we need to be aware of our sin. Because it's that understanding that we have fallen short. 
We have been saved by grace. We're able to reach out and to love others. So if we're truly gonna take the posture of Christ as well, then we also need to be aware of our sin. And then I think of the phrase just friend. Jesus, friend of sinners. We're aware of our sin, but we're aware of our Savior, that he's the one that came to save the lost. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 29 and 32, it talks about Jesus came for the sick, the lost. And so we, recognizing our sin, recognizing our Savior in that humility, can now reach out and love others. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so as we recognize that we are sinners saved by grace, we recognize our Savior as John the Baptist pointed to, we can be people who are friends of sinners. And if you think about it, may we be accused by the culture. May we be accused by the culture in ways that might not feel comfortable for us. Because we believe there's one way, may we be accused of being intolerant. Because we believe in the truths of Scripture, may we be accused of being ignorant to the culture. These weren't necessarily bad things for John and Jesus to be perceived as. And I think that unapologetically, Jesus is saying through that witness that our posture should be to profess with boldness, proclaim the truth of the kingdom, and to love others as you love yourself. And that posture is what truly will build the kingdom. I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you. I thank you for this opportunity, this time to be here. And I pray that we, as kingdom citizens, would have a kingdom posture. That we wouldn't lean to one side or the other, but that we would represent the whole counsel of your word. That we would point people to your son, Jesus Christ. We would boldly and courageously proclaim truth in this world, in this culture. And at the same time, we would be loving people. We would be reaching out to people. We would be recognizing and meeting the needs of people. And it's in living with that kingdom posture that ultimately you will be glorified because you are the one who draws all men to yourself. May we be faithful in our kingdom posture to bring you glory because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.